0: Super excited for us to have a conversation. If we have not interacted, my name is Erica Jordan Thomas, and I am a former teacher, former assistant principal, former principal, and just wrapped up my third and final year as a full-time doctoral student here at Harvard Graduate School of Education, just wrapped up getting my doctorate in education leadership, graduated in two weeks. And I launched my consulting business three years ago in October of 2017. And I launched my consulting business at a time when I was in a season of transition and I needed a way to extend my purpose while also at the time... I didn't know how how important financial freedom was for me. And through my business, I've been able to expand my impact and increase my financial freedom. And so my consulting business focuses on coaching and developing school leaders and supporting districts in their equity work. And then about a year or so ago, it's May, so it was actually March of 2020, I launched the second arm of my business, which... It's called Get Launch Consulting. It's a program specifically for educators to support them in expanding their impact and building their wealth through launching their own education consulting business. Because here's the thing, y'all. There are so many dope and amazing educators who are on the front lines doing the work who have the blueprint for solutions because they have solved problems in their role. And which mean, that means that you have the foundation of the business, but it's just like, okay, but what does that actually mean to start a business? That's where Get Launch Consulting comes in. That's how I support. And I'm excited tonight to be here with Marthea, who's an alum of Get Launch Consulting, an amazing, phenomenal educator, to learn more about her story and her journey in launching and growing her business. And so uh, let's welcome Marthea in the chat, show her some love. And before we jump in and have Marthea share with us more about her business, I want to just say this because I'm realizing there's a misconception that I am realizing people have, more people have than what I thought, which is that in order to consult, you have to be full-time. Like it's full-time or nothing. (laughs) Like I'm realizing more and more people have that misconception. And that's why I'm so excited to talk to Marthea tonight because that is a misconception. You do not have to just automatically start as a full-time consultant because I'm hearing so many people with fears of like, well, um, can I replace my income? I'm nervous around like my revenue. And it's like, you can still keep your job while you build your business. You ain't gotta quit <laughs> like automatically, which is my story, which is Marthea's story, which I'm excited for us us to to hear about. So Marthea, give us your education movie trailer. Walk us through where you started your education journey, the stops you made along the way, and what's present for you in your education journey.
1: Okay. Hey, everyone. I'm Marthea Pitts. I am a macro social worker. However, I recently transitioned into the field of higher education, the world of higher education. So I come from a very heavy social service background before I returned back to school. And so I always knew in working in social services that I had a desire to change the face of social service delivery. I just didn't know how I was going to go about that. I worked primarily in state government where, in my experience at that time, everyone transitioned into consulting. So I knew it was on my like goal list at some point in time. And I always like gave, revisited the thought year after year, but I never knew how that will transform or what it would all entail. So after entering higher ed, I realized that I had a passion for teaching. So I started teaching um, at an R1 university where I live, and that's where I discovered my passion for teaching. So I began to explore ways of how I could merge my love for social work and teaching. And then also my love for workforce development. My mm-hmm. background is very heavy in workforce development. So I began to research because I learned during cycle, I believe I was in cycle three. Uh, Yes, cycle three, that you need to research your market or what the need is and, and what the pain, what the issues are that they're experiencing. And so I learned that there was a major issue in the field of social work, primarily for social work students, that they did not know how to transition into the workforce post their master's degree or their bachelor's degree, and that they primarily were staying in entry-level positions, case management positions, and didn't know how to transition to leadership roles or macro social work uh, positions. So that is where the MSW Coach was born, and it took my love for career coaching and workforce development, something that I'm very good at, and merged the two. And so that's how it was born.
0: Mm. Oh, I love this so much because, you know, most of the, a number of the stories that we've, we've dove into through Get Launch Consulting Conversations are folks who were in the K-12 space and a classroom teacher. And so what's so unique and beautiful around your story is that within the, the ecosystem of education, that your expertise actually lies in a different part of the education ecosystem. So that's one thing just to note is that when I'm using the term education, I'm talking around the entire K through our pre-K through 16 ecosystem. And when I say ecosystem, that also includes student support services. And so that includes social workers, that includes counselors. And so define for us because we're, we're just getting started in this conversation. It's already clear, you know your stuff. <laughs> and so define for folks who are listening, when you say the word macro social worker, what that means.
1: Yes, thank you.
0: Okay, so macro
1: social work means that we are more on the administrative side of social work and we focus on advocating for groups and systemic and institutional change that will be in the form of laws, Research, grant making, community development. It's on the larger scale as opposed to direct practice, which will be micro social work where you're working one on one. So we are seeking to affect large
0: scale change. Gotcha. Gotcha. So this is so fascinating because you are essentially telling us the problem that you're solving within your business and the way you've articulated. is is so clear that you are operating within within the program. We use the language of your zone of genius versus your zone of excellence. This comes out of the book, The Big Leap. And the difference between the two is your zone of genius is the intersections of multiple areas of of your expertise. But what's unique is that because they're unique to you, there's a, a level of synergy that happens When you're operating within this such unique space of, for example, when I think about Get Launch Consulting, that is my zone of genius because it's the intersection of not just consulting, it's the intersection of consulting, educators, and equity. Because if you listen to the way I talk about consulting, the way I talk about the issues of consulting... I talk about them from a a systemic perspective and we talk about the impact of race and oppression and white supremacy culture on the issues we're trying to solve within education, as well as the lack of representation and diversity within the education consulting sector. And so that's an example when we say the intersection of your zone of genius is the intersection of multiple, of more than one area of expertise that it makes you so unique. And when you're operating in that intersection, there's this, this level of synergy that's so unique to you. And I heard you name macro social working. I heard you name education and I heard you name workforce development. Mm -hmm. And so just breaking that down for folks that you gave us a really beautiful example of, of how you can define, well, which problem (laughs) do I start with? So was that process? Because the way you talk about it feels very clear. Did it always feel clear when you decided to go for your business? Was that very clear from the beginning?
1: No, it was not. It actually, it went through multiple stages because I was like, I don't really want to do career coaching, but I was always, I, re, I heard over and over focus on starting because I knew I always had aspirations of starting a business and it was going to be centered around consulting what I had not identified. So it originally started focusing on what I primarily was known for. And so when you hear Marthea Pitts, I'm synonymous with workforce development because I have won multiple awards in it and I'm well known for it. And Come so, but, but I just kept trying to like, no, I should maybe come up with a product or I should do something else. So I kept revisiting workforce development. But then out of frustration one day, working in social work, I was like, I cannot change the world just by myself. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So how can I train other social workers to get out and be in positions to be change agents? And so that's, and I think it took about a span of six months for it to kind of merge and morph together where you should just combine them both because you're good. I was already mentoring other social workers informally and didn't even realize it. And so there was a resounding issue of they didn't know how to secure macro jobs. They don't know Mm -hmm. how to transition out of those frontline positions. And so it took many different stages or revisits A lot of it was me just moving out of my own way and accepting that this is your thing, Marthia.
0: Mm. Ooh. So you said it took you moving out of your own way. So what do you mean by that? Accepting the fact that
1: I always felt like, dang, I don't have a gift or a talent. Other people have things. What is your thing? And it really this went on for about a year until I realized your thing is. Helping people find jobs. I'm really good at it, and I accepted that that is my gift. I always knew my higher calling was to help other people achieve lifelong self sufficiency. That's always been my professional mission, and so I just accepted the fact that that was it.
0: (laughs) Mm, Yeah. Mm. And so there was something earlier that you said too that I I think it would be helpful to peel back for people because you said. You talked to us around how you did some market research. And so talk to us around that experience, like specifically what were the actions that you took and then tell us a little bit more around what you learned through that because you, you named for us some of this insights, but walk us through what that looked like. Market research went something like me joining
1: a ton of social work related groups on Facebook reading through the comments, and just being a fly on the wall to see what the themes were and what they were sharing, the issues they were experiencing. In that, I learned that they don't, I didn't know this prior to joining the Facebook groups, that they did not know how to find jobs, that they were leaving the field of social work for other professions, that they were, did not know how to articulate to non-social workers what macro social work is, what it entails, what do administrative social workers do? Because when you say you're a social worker, people, people instantly think of child welfare social workers mm-hmm. or clinical social workers. So it's a lot of being able to clearly articulate what you do and what you bring to the table. They did not know how to do that. And so all of that was gleaned from me being in different Facebook groups and just Being a fly on the wall. And I can honestly say I, I still do that to this day. Um, so it's never ending me just basically going through those comments and posts to
0: figure out what is the need? What are the issues? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So Marthia just gave y'all a tip. If, if you, if there's a problem that you, think is going to be the starting point of your business. you have an idea of what that problem is, you have an idea of who your target client is, you need to find a way to get proximate to them. So when I say get proximate, I mean, Marthea gave us an example of like, you need to go to where they are. And so if there's in a Facebook group, you need to go to the Facebook group, obviously, where, well, the world is starting to shift a little bit and open back up. But like, In pre COVID world, that means you go to their conferences, you go to the association network and happy hour, like you go to where they are to be able to get proximate, to listen and to understand their experience. And again, that's one of the things that I think can sometimes get tricky when, when you are your target client, that can get a little tricky because you can assume that you know the problem. You can assume you know all of the details. When you actually have to decenter yourself and be able to assess the problem as if you have not experienced, to really be able to understand the intricacies and nuances of it. And so Marthea, again, named this strategy of joining Facebook groups of where your target client is and literally just studying what people are saying. What are the questions that they're asking? What are they saying are some of their frustrations or their pain points? Because all of those things are are informative data of how what you should be considering or taking into consideration in your business as you're thinking about your services, how you define the problem, how you would develop your external messaging. All of that is helpful, informal data. So, Marthea, how did you then use this information to then start thinking about your services?
1: I used it to basically learn how to market and tailor them. Specifically, like, I didn't know that a lot of social workers are very term heavy, meaning they're very clear about the fact that either they're micro, meso, meso means you work on the community level, Mm -hmm. or macro, I just always thought people referred to themselves as administrative focused social workers. So I learned that they were very term connected. I don't Mm -hmm. know a better way to explain that. Mm -hmm. So I made certain that any materials I put out, any digital products I created, I inserted the term macro social work um, just so that appealed to them. And it was very clear as to what level of social work I was focusing on. I also learned that they were very interested in research and institutions centered around research, but they did not know how to identify them. So I started to give job leads on research on research institutions and giving information on how to identify those types of positions. Because another issue that I found is that they were just primarily looking for job postings with the term or degree requirement of a social work degree. Mm -hmm. But if you put in the term social work, you're going to get case management positions or clinical positions. So then I began to focus a lot of my content on teaching them how to identify transferable skills and how to read job descriptions and identify that positions are macro social work. It's just not going to say that but you have to be able to identify the transferable skills that you bring to an organization and also look at the mission and the focus of an organization and connect the two to get the picture that it's macro social work.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what are the services that you ended up landing on that you offer in your business? So
1: I first created a digital project where I created a list of 100 macro social work job types. That was to me an immediate need of like my crew asking for how do I find these positions. So I did like a fat finding miss- mission and compiled a hundred titles in one document. I began to sell that. Then I offered free tips on how to land a macro social work job. That was a digital product. And then I gradually progressed into the formal career coaching where I have Resume one-on-one career coaching sessions, interviewing the basics of interviewing, how to create a career plan. I've even offered free webinars on how to tailor your resume for macro social work jobs.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So, I'm, I'm on of many of the things that you're sharing. I'm aware. I w- I'm aware of, and I'm also putting on the perspective of someone who's listening and thinking through. Just like self belief and courage, and like self commitment, it just takes to do that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Of just like to go from an idea and then to move to I have digital products. I'm doing webinars. I'm offering coaching. I could imagine that you know someone could potentially be wondering of like, damn, like she like just went for it and like it was easy for her. Like she just turned it on and so what were some of the whether it was like mindsets or like give us give us like a a bird's eye view into what that process was like were there any obstacles Were there was there anything that felt really hard or self-talk that you had to do kind of give us a little bit of an underneath the hood of that experience
1: Mm. so I'll start from when I started Cycle 3. So it was very slow moving. I was taking in all of the information and the resources you were giving, but I still kind of was not compelled to jump into action. Why? Because I'm a natural born introvert. I tell people this. I don't necessarily find pleasure just jumping in front of crowds. But however, when I'm talking about social work, it's a different thing. But still, for whatever reason, that introvert in me would not allow me to like, I was like, well, what if this, or how would I, how am I going to do it live, or everything mm. should be perfect, or what if I get nervous, and this and that. And so it wasn't until the last day of our cycle where you gave the, um, you had us read the the passage about the giraffe,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I believe it was, mm-hmm. and it was that out of the whole cycle. It was that, I don't remember the exact words, but it was that passage that was like, Marthia, (laughs) stop tripping and just do it. And so that is what compelled me to move forward along with my desire to want to do other things in life and contribute to my field in a meaningful way. And again, I do want to change the world or at least help position other social workers to be able to do that. But it was very slow moving for me to just really jump into action again because of my introverted ways. So a lot of the times I have to do self-talk, like, okay, you can do it. Mm -hmm. You can get get on there and do it. And then once I get started talking, I'm okay. Mm -hmm. But it's the just getting started part.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, and I think there's something interesting that you said of, You know, I'm naturally an introvert, except when it comes to social work. I can talk about that all day. Yeah. So I think that just speaks to the power of picking the right problem. Mm. Because I think some people, I'm not saying that everything in your business is going to be easy. But in terms of like your energy, if you pick, so let me give you an example. I could give a PD on classroom management. I could, and it would be good. But I would probably procrastinate in making it. <laughs> like I'd probably dread like pulling myself like up to the day of being able to deliver it. And I guarantee you, I'm gonna get some good feedback. Everybody's gonna love it. But my inner en- it will not give me energy in the same way because. That for me is my zone of excellence. It's not my zone of genius. And I can do it well. I can do it in my sleep. But like for me, what lights me up is school leadership. What lights me up is talking about consulting specifically for those of us from marginalized backgrounds and, and whose identities have historically been oppressed in this country. That lights me up and gets me excited. Mm-hmm. And so like that's where you have to really do some in, reflection at the early stage of your business. Of what really brings you joy. Yeah. Because if you pick a problem, and that's the thing, as as oftentimes in our in the education ecosystem, we've done a lot of things that we can do well, but they don't necessarily bring us joy. So if you pick a problem that you've done really well, and maybe people have always given you lots of praise, and you're like, Well, this is what I should do, but it doesn't bring you joy. Yeah. You are gonna feel frustrated when you're making social media posts about it. (laughs) Like you're gonna like (laughs) dread going live, even though, you know, you would already naturally be nervous about going live, but like, it'll be an extra layer of just like burden that it's gonna feel like you're gonna have to work through versus when you pick the problem that gives you energy, that brings you joy. I'm not saying again, everything's gonna be easy, but you're gonna be, you're gonna get energy from doing the social media posts about it because it's it's in your zone of genius. Marthea, someone just asked, how disciplined were you at the start to get
1: going? At the start, again, I'll start with when I was in cycle three, I was very disciplined as far as doing the homework, the Mm pre-homework and doing the tasks that we were tasked with. And again, at that point, I was motivated by not only just wanting to make a difference for my field, but wanting to make a difference for myself. Mm. Because I know that I don't want to necessarily work in a traditional organization for the rest of my working days. I want to have my own. So that was what was propelling me in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I love this question. So let me just name, being disciplined when you start is not optional. Like you are going to have to be disciplined. But but what discipline, how we define discipline, I think it's a broad definition because I think sometimes when people hear discipline, they think, all right, I have to, they think patterns, routines, and frequency of like every day for 30 minutes, I have to do this thing. Or like every day, you know, during this time block, before I go to bed, I have to do this thing. That's one type of discipline. Another type of discipline is just reflection of like sometimes discipline always isn't in the execution. It's in like being present and being aware and giving yourself the space to actually like think clearly and being disciplined about your commitment to yourself. So I just want to underscore because what you said earlier, Marthe, of like discipline one way in which you were disciplined is like you, you, you took the content of the program seriously, which meant that like you protected the time. You were at each call. You were taking like copious notes, but also you weren't rushing to like, I got to do this thing. I got to do this thing and I got to do that thing. Like you were allowing yourself to be present to the process. So I just, I just want to name that because I think sometimes uh, because we live in a very white centered society that we have some very whitewashed. Narratives around what discipline means. Discipline is you run at 5 a.m. every morning, then you make a smoothie, and then you do that. When, like, sometimes discipline means being still and, like, getting because by being still, you'll get clarity around what your next steps and your directions are. But, but the common thread is that, like, you are you don't tap out, like, Mm -hmm. even when it gets hard, you're still like. You're still you're still in it. So just want to name that. I, that was a great question. If y'all have mm-hmm. other question, please other questions, please um, yeah. drop those into the chat because it also made me think about my journey at the beginning of my consulting business. You know, discipline for me looked like having conversations with other consultants to learn from them. So I wasn't necessarily like doing things in my business. Because I was like, I'm still trying to figure ish out. Like I just need to learn from other people for a bit. So that's what discipline looks like for me was creating the space to learn from others. So Marthea, talk to us around like how you started to find your clients. Like what would that what did that Mm. process look like? So initially it started off just
1: by advertising on Instagram and then it branched out to me reaching my reaching out to my network because i and again i think i discovered this in cycle 3 like my network runs deep i never considered myself to have a network other than like my immediate network but i realized that i have a lot of strong connections and relationships that i built from my time working in um, social services so i i just shared it on my facebook page my personal facebook page mm-hmm. and it was shared like a wildfire and A lot of people that I work with in leadership that still are in leadership over certain agencies and organizations began to like put me on their radar for different opportunities. So that's how it started. I still get a lot of my leads from Instagram. And again, it's just me being present and me talking about what I offer. And then people organically find me there.
0: Hmm. So I say this all the time is that you always know your first client. You just don't know it yet, Mm -hmm. which is, I mean, I say this out of love because when I I've I've worked with 117 educators between the six cycles of my program. And when people are are early on, well, not even early on, because it can happen at any point in your journey but I see the ways people make the work harder than what it needs to be. <laughs> like, yeah. I see the ways people <laughs> make their business harder. Like, why would you send an email to someone you don't know when you could just be reaching out to your network? Like, why would you start there? Like, yeah. actually, this is, this is my perspective, Erica. <laughs> my first two years of my business, I didn't have to do any marketing. And even if you look at my social media today, I really, I talk mostly about Get Launch Consulting. Every now and then I'll talk about what I'm actually doing in my consulting business in terms of, you know, PD or clients or engagements. But part of it is because I don't need to market to get my contracts because of of my network. And once you do good work, that is going to be your best marketing because people will want to renew their contracts. They'll want to refer you. So I've never had to cold email anybody in the three plus years of my business. And I have a six-figure consulting business. And so just naming, again, I think this misconception of how we make this harder than what it should be. So where people are like, well, I'm gonna, I have a list of principals I'm gonna reach out to. And I'm like, do you know any of them? Do they know you? (laughs) Because let me tell you, when I was a principal, if I ain't know you in my inbox and you talking about something, Billy, Like I ain't got time. Like I ain't got time. Unless I'm actively looking for something, <laughs> but even then, I'm gonna go to my friends and ask who you know who does this because I need to, I need I need to be sure that I'm spending my time in the right places and I ain't fooling with nobody who who cried. So we have another question here, Marthea. Mm-hmm. Um, Vanessa asks, "Were you discouraged at any point? Sometimes people aren't supportive."
1: Oh, Vanessa. No, only because I <laughs> I learned very early on in my professional career and it took years for me to learn this, I guess, that it really doesn't matter what other people think or say when it comes to my business because my and I mean my personal business because I am all about my well-being. So I honestly can say I never like experienced that, but maybe because I just don't pay attention to it. But I know that's very easy, easier said than done. So it's just best to, if you know you have naysayers that are going against whatever your aspirations are, be it your professional careers, your business goals, move around. Find someone else to bring into your circle because that's not who you need to be giving your
0: energy or your ideas to.
1: It just won't go anywhere. I hope that helps.
0: Hmm. Yeah, it sounds like... It sounds like it's the wrong people. Like I would, it's time for a reassessment. And I love you, Vanessa. I don't think I've met you before, but I love you, and I'm saying this out of love. You have to be so, as an entrepreneur, you have to be so thoughtful of your circle, who you share your, and when I say business, I don't mean I mean your literal business with of like your 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 company. You have to be careful who you share your company business with because being an entrepreneur is an act of of operating from abundance. And Mm. we operate in a society that is is socialized around scarcity. And so some people who don't mean harm will unintentionally create the harm because they're operating from a place of scarcity and they're operating from a belief that money is a scarce resource, that in order to make more money, you have to save money. They're not operating from a place that at any moment, you have the power to generate more money. And that's a mindset shift that many of I have had to learn. (laughs) Like I did not start with that belief because I didn't grow up with that belief. I've had to learn and now I'm on the other side of it. It's so crystal clear for me that you have to be so intentional around who you, your community of support as an entrepreneur, because it takes you living into the possibilities as an entrepreneur. And for people who can't see that, they're driven out of fear. They're, they're not the right people to have in your, in your entrepreneur circle. So that doesn't mean you necessarily, you know, don't associate with them anymore. Cause yeah. personally for me, and I say this out of love, one of those people is my mama <laughs> because she didn't, she grew up with you working nine to five. <laughs> You work really hard, you get your paycheck, you get promoted, and like, that's a good job.
1: Yeah. And
0: that is because that is what she grew up with. And, you know, she she grew up um, out of a necessity of of having to survive. Because my mother yeah. grew up in the rural South in Mississippi. She had to survive. And so, and because she survived, I am now in a position where I can take the next step and thrive. And so, because of that, I am thoughtful around the conversations I have with my mother um, because she's <laughs> operating from a place of survival, which I get yeah. it. I get it. And I love her for it, and her survival has positioned me in so many different ways. And I'm not in a chapter of survival. I'm actually in a chapter of what does it actually look like to thrive? And so, um, I think that's a really, really great question. And yeah. I think that becomes a conversation around boundaries. Of who who you can let in and who you you know keep at a healthy healthy distance. Yeah. Um, I'll answer this next quick question, and then we'll um, move forward to our last couple of questions. Destiny, I don't know if this is the name of your your organization or your name, but either way, I love it. Destiny asks, "How do you identify your network?" So I'll share a couple of quick tips, and then I actually have a module uh, for purchase called Securing Your First Client. And so if you want to learn more information about it, just DM me and you could just DM me the word client and I'll know who you are. And then I'll send you that information. But briefly, this is where you want to think about a couple of different people. Think about every organization that you've ever worked with. Think about any affiliations that you have. So affiliations can cut across a a few different lines. They can cut across your alma maters. They can cut across any training programs that you may have done. They can cut across any type of social organizations that you've ever been affiliated with. You want to map all of those things out. So, for example, if I were to think for myself and my network, I graduated from Ohio State. I graduated from Relay Graduate School of Education and a couple of weeks I will have graduated from Harvard Graduate School of Education. I've also (laughs) done New Leaders. I have done Teach for America. I have gone through UVA's Partners for Leadership and Education program. I've gone through a couple of different fellowships through Relay Graduate School of Education. So that's not even half my list. (laughs) Like I'm just naming those off the top of my head, but all of those are part of my network. I haven't even gone through my previous jobs yet. All of those are part of my network. So that's just some of the reflection that you need to do. And a good place to start would just be, look at your resume. What are all the Mm. organizations and affiliations that you've you've had? And think about which one of those intersect with the problem that you're trying to, to solve in your business. Okay, so... Martha, what advice would you give to anybody who is considering starting or launching their education uh consulting business? Just do it. Contact Erica, most
1: definitely she can take you through all of the steps from the emotional part of it as far as clearing out the mind trash and then moving into the actual logistics of it all and and from setup to securing clients, as we've been talking about here, just to take a chance on yourself. And if it's something that you constantly think about, you're supposed to be doing it. And mm. so you have a resource right at your tips, up tips of your fingers. So take advantage of that.
0: Mm, Oh, I love it. And how can people get in contact with you who should reach out to you and anything coming up in your business you want folks to know about?
1: Yes, you can follow me on Instagram at the MSW Coach Consulting Uh, this Sunday on the 16th from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I'm having a free career planning workshop. Actually, it's open for social workers and any human services professionals. Mm -hmm. So if you or you know anyone, um, just visit my page and share the post. The link is in the bio to my Eventbrite page where you can get your free ticket to attend. It will be held via Zoom. We will have like a virtual co-working session and me guiding you through the process of reverse engineering your career and creating a career plan. Everyone should have a career plan. Even as an entrepreneur, Mm -hmm. you should have a plan of action and how you will execute the goals that you've set for yourself. Also, connect with me on LinkedIn. You should all, everyone should have a LinkedIn page. (laughs) Career Tip 101. So connect with me on there. My link is in my bio. Again, follow me on Instagram. Everything is there in the
0: bio. Awesome. awesome. Y'all show Marfia some love in the comments. Thank you for her time. Thank you for her wisdom. Thank you. Thank you for her gifts and for her moving past the mind trash and believing in herself and betting on herself so, such that she's building a beautiful business that is having an impact. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Marthia, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, This was a joy. And I'm just so excited for you. I'm in your corner cheering you on and just excited for you and your business.